Let's pray. Lord, we need your wisdom to live in this world, and I thank you that in this book we have it. And I pray that your spirit would come and open our minds and hearts to understand and to remember who you are and to know you. And as the preacher this morning, I pray that you would help me as well to be clear and faithful to your word. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to do a dangerous thing in a room with people that are both older and younger than me, and that is talk about a health issue. See, um, the minute I mention some kind of failing health, and everyone that's older can jump in with three better or worse, depending on your perspective, stories of this. But that's the beauty of being right at the age of 50. And um, I took our staff away this Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for a two-night retreat to seek the Lord as a team and to refresh in his presence. And we went to Brunswick, uh, Georgia, to a, a, re- a rental house, a big like, multi-story rental house that overlooked a beautiful view of the water. Um, and the first night while I was sleeping, something attacked me. And I woke up in the morning with very bad bites across my forehead. I have bandages on my hands. I'm on an antibiotic now. And I'm just, I'm like my, my lymph nodes swelled up. And this is the third time like a simple insect bite has caused a severe reaction. I'm getting weak. <laughs> the, the weird thing is BE was uh, in the other single bed in that room and didn't get bit by whatever it was at all. In fact, stayed in it even the second night with no fear whatsoever. And I'm talking to him about a wrist pain from tennis and all this kind of stuff. And my point with bringing that up is if you've been around anyone that is of a certain vintage, let's say, there's a temptation to talk a lot about health and bodily issues. And I'm resolved to not be that guy, but already I'm becoming that guy. And it's just part of the process. You, You know, you have to tend to yourself so much that you end up talking about that a lot. And Kohelet, our teacher in Ecclesiastes, is at the end, both I suspect of his life, but also at the end of his words. Our text today, he stops talking. Next week, our last sermon is a third-person narrator talking about his ministry. And so um, Curtis slighted me last week and said, Mike went out of town and left me with the subject of death. But that's because today I have the subject of the dying process, which is part of, they're very similar here. And... um, it's, it's very common when one gets to the place of experiencing the fading of youthful vitality to look to youth, and sometimes with scorn, sometimes with advice or envy. You know, we, we hear the saying, youth is wasted on the young. You ever said that? What we mean by that is I now have the perspective of years and wisdom. I wish I had the vitality and health of youth so I could live differently than those youth are living. They're wasting their whatever it is they've got. So this is kind of what we're looking at today in Ecclesiastes. If you want to look at a pew Bible, it's on page 559. Our our clear parameters on the preaching text, the section um, that has a clear start and stop is chapter 11, verse 9, to chapter 12, verse 8. And in here, Kohelet gives advice to young people. So if you're young, and that's a relative term, the advice is, one, rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in your youth. Throughout the the entire letter, he has been pointing out things that are good, that are gifts from God. Food, drink, toil, the work that your hands find to do, uh, all sorts of things. And And he's advising us to give thanks and rejoice and find joy in them. And but the the catch with this is rejoice in your youth while it lasts. It's passing quickly. 
And the second bit of advice is walk in the ways of your heart and your eyes. Now, if you uh, have been around Christianity much or in the Bible much, you go, wait a minute, that's questionable advice. I mean, how many songs are out there that say, just follow your heart? And right now, you know, people say, you do you. You, you got to be true to yourself. And there's a big cultural push to look inward to figure out where meaning comes from. How do I feel? What do I think? What does my heart say? That's what I should build my life on. And that is not consistent with the rest of Scripture. You know, one of the teachings of the church is that you'd never interpret one portion of Scripture in a way that is repugnant of another or contradictory of another. So you have to look at the whole counsel of God. So there are texts in Scripture, like, for instance, Jeremiah 17, 9, that says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, You can't necessarily trust your heart. It leads you in the wrong direction. In the morning prayer liturgy, there's a confession that we use every day, and we confess that we have, quote, followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. An older version called it the deceits and the desires of our own hearts. In other words, how do we balance that? Well, I think one of the places in Scripture that gives a really helpful word is the Psalms. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it has to go in that order. As you delight yourself in the Lord, he reserves the right to change the desires of your heart, actually. And so you find that you then can, to some extent, follow your heart but it's gotta be a heart that is seeking first the kingdom of God. It's gotta be a heart that is God-oriented. And even then, you gotta keep checking it because we have to confess our sins all the time because our heart will still lead us astray. So that's kind of questionable advice there. Um, And then in verse 10, he says, don't let worry or pain hinder your youthfulness. Um, It's very brief, so enjoy whatever bit of it you've got Don't let these other things, uh, you know, anxiety about stuff, worry about the future, all that kind of stuff, um, steal it from you. I I was talking to um, a a while back, uh, David Glade, who's also an Anglican priest. He's up in Virginia. His parents, Buzz and Susan, basically helped build this church. Buzz was literally the contractor that built this, the general contractor for these buildings, and Susan was on staff, and uh, they raised their kids here in Orange Park. And David said, and he's about my age, and he said, I think, looking back on life so far, my favorite time was when I was 12 years old. For him, when he was 12, they lived in Orange Park, he played soccer, it was about 40 years ago, so it was a different cultural time. It was kind of like, go out and be in the neighborhood, and when the streetlights come on, come home. Um, He had freedom, enough freedom to really enjoy it, but not enough responsibility of adulthood, and for him, that was his favorite season of life. And it passed quickly. And looking back then, he was able to see that. Time is moving so fast for us. So like food, drink, and toil, youth is a gift. Rejoice in that. You're only young once. But remember, it's vanity. And I think here, it would have been better to choose to translate the, that word hebel as fleeting, which, remember, vanity is a mist. It's, it's elusive. It's fleeting. You can't grasp onto it. I think right here to say but remember, uh, that's verse uh, 8, remember uh, it's vanity, it's, it's fleeting, it goes by really fast. Now the most important verse in this whole section is chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And I'm, I'm slightly paraphrasing that because I don't think this is just addressing youth, I think it's actually addressing all of us. And so I'm saying, remember your creator as soon as you can. 
which if you're young would be in your youth. If you're not young, it would be right now. Don't wait another day. Trust in the Lord now. I, um, probably two years ago, I had a, a, a person who's new to the church and new to Christianity, in way over 70, I don't know how old he is, um, came to me when he learned that I became a Christian when I was 17 as a youth, and he just said, oh, I so envy that. I spent all those years wasting my life when I could have been serving the Lord and doing all this stuff that harmed myself, making bad choices, following the wrong path, and you've been walking with the Lord since you were 17. And I rejoiced in that truth, but I also said, I praise God that you're in now. Eternity is a long time, and you're in the kingdom. Better late than never. You know, I've never met somebody who sincerely knows the gospel and says, oh, I wish that I didn't become a Christian until I was like in my 70s. <laughs> you know? I mean, supposedly Emperor Constantine, when he became a Christian, misunderstood the sacrament of baptism and delayed his baptism until late at life because he figured it's his one shot to get all his sins washed, which totally misunderstands the sacrament. But, you know, that idea of, I, I want to do all the fun stuff. It's a failure to understand who God is, how good life is, and that his ways are so much better. I, for those of you that are young, I pray that you will have the wisdom to watch your foolish friends make the wrong moves and do damage and learn from their mistakes without having to do it yourself. That is a really great way to learn. It's safer that way. Let them mess it up and go, wow, if I had done it God's way, it would have been better. Yeah, if you can learn that lesson from somebody else, that is a really good thing to do. Um, so one of our core visions and values for this church is next generation discipleship. We think it's super important to impart faith to people as soon as possible. So we are constantly looking for ways to do that. Now, the, the, um, the writer here, Kohelet, does say, follow your heart and the light of your eyes, but know that for these things, God will bring you into judgment, that there is a judge, that how you live matters. And I think that judgment has two prongs to it. On the one hand, there is um, the judgment against anything we do that breaks God's law, but I think there's also a judgment for failing to receive the gifts that he gives us. And so, you know, youthfulness is a gift. Health is a gift. And so oftentimes we can focus on what's not working well and resent or despise or ignore what is going so well rather than be full of gratitude, thankfulness to the Lord. But the thing is that this life gives us every day reasons to remember God. Remember who he is. Remember where you're headed. Remember the big picture. Now, this, this second part of here, this, um, the part that maybe didn't make sense to you because you haven't had the opportunity of studying it ahead of time, I think is best interpreted in an allegorical way. Now, I say that with caution because the early church fathers used allegory in very wrong ways. You know, things like, well, Noah's ark saved them from God's judgment and the ark was made of wood and the cross was wood, therefore, it's pointing to the cross. That kind of allegorical thing is a, it's just, it, the text doesn't justify it. However, in this section, I think the best understanding of what he's talking about is an allegory of a house and a, a life around that house that is actually crumbling down and going toward death. So Curtis talked about death. I'm talking here about actually the dying process. Come with me, if you will, into this text. When, when he starts to talk about, in verse, back in verse 7, he says, light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see them. But then in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, he talks about uh, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. The clouds return after the rain. It's a gloomy day. And then he says, 
in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Try and think allegorically of yourself as a house. Your body is a house. As we age, this becomes way more common. The keepers of the house start to tremble. It looks like he's pointing to hands. And the strong men are bent. The strength of your spine or your legs, it is very common to be somewhat hunched over as we get older. And the grinders cease because they are few. You want to guess what those are? Yeah, without modern dentistry, typically teeth get lost as you get older. You have less of them. If they're talking literally about people that are grinding grain, why, if you have less grinders, would you stop grinding? They would need to work more to make up for the lack of grinders. But when your teeth are falling out, it hurts. It's hard to eat. You eat less. You have problems with that. This is very normal. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. You know, my arms have now reached the extent of their length. My eyes are failing, but I'm I'm in between reading glasses, and I don't want to mess with the mic and have to do that thing all the time. But I'm there. Like I, I got it. That's happening. Anyone over 40, that starts to happen. This is, go, this is walking us through. Uh, the sound of the grinding is low. The doors are shut. Our ears start to fail. And then strangely enough, one rises at the sound of the bird. Anyone wake up like two hours before your alarm every day when the birds are out starting to sing? But then, the, then their song is low because you can't quite hear it, right? This is, this, is, this is, it seems to me, an allegory walking through the experiences of dying, of your body failing. You can see why you know, Ecclesiastes is sort of tough. Um, I, Tim Keller said in New York City they could only do four sermons on Ecclesiastes. I thought we could handle 10, but somebody sent me an email about an existential crisis he's having, having now after eight of these. So he's now reading Philippians right with it to try to balance this out. <laughs> they are afraid also of what is high. Are steps or ladders something you shouldn't be on now because of the age you're at? They are uh, afraid of the terrors in the way. A little crack, an uneven sidewalk, and you fall. It's balance, balance is questioned here. And the almond tree blossoms. You know what color the blossom is on an almond tree? White, it gets white, hair. And, And my favorite maybe is the grasshopper drags himself along. Oh, man, and desire fails, and man is going to his eternal home. And for him, that's just, Sheol, it's that realm of the afterlife. It's not good, bad, but it's definitely not living. It's dust returning to dust. And then this last bit about the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered, all of that is around getting water from a well. The, the way to get the life-giving water is broken. The wheel that lets the pulley down, broken. The water that's life is ending. There's no more life, it's, it's at the end. And then he says, the dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And that's it. And then he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. That's the last time Kohelet speaks in the first person here in this book. And it's just like, oh, the house is breaking down. What, what are we to do with this? Well, I did a funeral on Thursday, and the, one of the readings was from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second one, where he talks about his body, our bodies being tents, and our tent is a temporary dwelling place. It is meant to be replaced with something permanent later. It's temporary for now. And so I say, remember your creator as soon as you can. So as as your tent is failing, it makes you long for a permanent house. You, You need something more permanent, and you know it. 
So 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is talking uh, about the resurrection and says some really helpful things for us. I wish Kohelet could have heard this out of time. I mean, I, in, the, in the Lord, I don't know how that works, but uh, we, thankfully, are on this side of the resurrection, and Paul says, um, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That sounds like he was reading Kohelet. He was thinking that Epicurean philosophy. He was thinking about some of this. You know, if the dead are not raised, then all you have is your food and drink. Under the sun, secular perspective, the best you've got is the little bit of pleasure you can eke out of this life. Hang on to your youthfulness because it's going fast and it's all you've got. And everybody seems to be worshiping the young. Why? Because their hope can only be in this life if there's nothing after it. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's barely the start of it. Paul goes on there and he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That grasshopper that is like dragging itself along is is weak and dishonorable, but is raised in great honor and great glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. This, of course, assumes you are in Christ. It's for those who trust in Christ, this resurrection will be powerful and glorious and good. And then he talks about the difference between the man of the dust and the man of heaven. The man of the dust being Adam. Adam and Eve were, you know, God formed out of the dust and breathed the breath of God on them, and they were there. The son of man entered in from eternity, from heaven, into um, this world. And so Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, you know, mortal, knowing death, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And then a little later he says, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then he quotes a poem. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? When you have that understanding, and you hear Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me, and we remember that he died and rose as he promised, defeated Satan, sin, death. Death doesn't get the last word for those that are in Christ. So funeral sermons are always uplifting and hope-filled because it's a reminder that in Christ there is so much more to come. And this is good news. So to the youth, I want to say receive your youthfulness as God's gift and, um, and recognize that maybe your best season of life might not be when you're 12 living in Orange Park. For some, it might have been younger. For others, it might not be till you're out of college. Everybody's life is a little bit different. But um, I want you to reject the idea that God's way is no fun. People think, if I do it God's way, I'm missing out. And I, I just say, look at your, your non-believing friends and peers that are choosing to go the secular way. Just watch it for a while. Does it work? What are the results? Is it blessing them, or are they just inflicting damage and guilt and judgment? Learn from that, and learn vicariously through foolish behaviors of others. To those of us that are older, I think every health issue is a kind of grief. We are actually in a grieving process of detaching from this world. I think of that line from uh, the Lord of the Rings where um, Bilbo and Gandalf are talking, and they say, I just think Frodo's in love with the Shire, which is the little town where the hobbits live. I think we're all in love with this world, and it's actually a gift to have things peeled away so that we can let go, 
so that we can look forward to what is coming instead of trying to build something permanent here in a tent. Nobody wants to live permanently in a tent. We need more. So we are seeing how temporary life is. This is an opportunity to press into the Lord for what he has in each season, not to resent that you're aging, that things are failing, that things have to be let go, but as Paul will say, and I'll I'll close with this, these slight momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed. The day will come when in Christ, if you're a believer, you will look back and go, I don't know why I was so worried about that. This is so much better. It's not even worth comparing. This is incredible. That's what we have in Christ. That's our hope. And so thanks be to God for that. Let's remember our creator as soon as we can. Lord, I thank you for the hope of the resurrection. I thank you personally that we live on this side of it so we can understand where Kohelet's teaching leaves off and where hope steps back in. It's not all uh, just passing away. It's passing into something great. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your goodness, fill us with your spirit, help us live this life to your glory. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.